0: Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of Ecommerce podcast. I'm Dana, founder of Bright Red Marketing, your e-commerce advertising specialists. Today, we're here with Courtney from Court & Co. Courtney Rogers is an award-winning pricing and sales coach based in Brisbane, Australia. Her business, Court & Co., is founded on her background in sales and marketing and her prior studies in psychology and accounting. Courtney is passionate about helping women become confident leaders in their business with a particular focus on profitability, growth, and achieving the business of their dreams. In today's episode, she says how to price your product based on value, her thoughts on discounting, how to reply when customers complain about pricing, and some of her favorite psychological tricks for pricing your products, and so much more. So, let's get into it. Welcome to episode 22. Hi, and welcome to the Bright Minds of Ecommerce podcast. Today, we're here with Courtney Rogers from Court & Co. Welcome, Courtney. Thank you so much for having me here today. It is so good to have you on. So can you tell us a little bit more about your business and how Court &
1: Co. came to be? Sure thing. So my business came to be back in late 2018 when I was studying accounting at the time and I knew that I really wanted to start my own business. I really wanted to help women become capable and confident business owners. So I started in bookkeeping, actually, because I was studying accounting and bookkeeping made a lot of sense. It was something I was really good at. And while I was deciding on a niche to choose, because as a lot of us know, niching is a very good thing. And bookkeepers traditionally choose an industry I didn't really want to choose an industry from my niche. And so what I decided to do instead was to pick a business problem. So I spent many months being one of those really creepy lurkers in business groups and that having a look at the types of problems and the types of questions that people were talking about. What I came to notice was that a lot of people were asking questions around pricing and how to set their prices, how to be profitable, how to work out what prices to set for which products and so forth. And I decided that I wanted to focus on pricing. What I didn't know at the time was that pricing is its own field in its own right. And so I spent many, many months studying pricing, studying pricing psychology, pricing strategy, product portfolio and differentiation, all these wonderful things. And I eventually became known as the pricing lady because I was talking about it all the time. And slowly I phased out the bookkeeping side of my business and specifically focused on pricing what i focused on in the beginning is a little bit different to what i focus on now at the very start it was just pricing now as i've gone on i now take hold of my background in sales and marketing and i implement those into my coaching and my services as well so my goal and my mission is to take a woman who has a business help her become really confident in herself really confident in her product give her the skills and equip her with the tools that she needs to be able to market and sell herself well and to be able to charge prices that give her profit for her business to grow and for her to live the li- her life on her terms. Absolutely fantastic. Like I know that pricing is
0: obviously something that a lot of businesses struggle with, but I like that you have not just mm. taken that but you're taking all of the elements that surround that to really give them that success.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So obviously I know pricing is one thing that a lot of e-com businesses struggle with. Have you got some like general best practices on pricing? Like this is the million
1: dollar question, I suppose. Yeah, it is a million dollar question. There are certainly some answers to that that would be business specific, right? Like one business is not going to be the same as another, right? So there are certainly some pieces of advice that would only apply to one business and not another. In terms of general principles, absolutely. My number one thing is market research. If you're an e-commerce business, you absolutely, absolutely have to be doing market research. If you don't know what your customers value and what their willingness to pay is, you could very much be leaving thousands or tens of thousands of dollars on the table. The best example I have of this is one of my e-commerce clients in particular comes to mind. We found out that through the market research that I conducted for her, her customers' willingness to pay was around 20 to 40% higher than what she expected. So I have a tradition that I do with all of my clients. I ask them, what do you think your client's willingness to pay is, right? What do you think your customers are willing to pay for this product? And every single time I go out and do market research for them, their customer's willingness to pay is actually higher. That means that every time you sell a product, you're leaving money on the table that your customer would have happily paid. The other really cool thing about that research too, done is that when a customer says, this is my willingness to pay, giving a modest response they're being conservative because humans are risk averse and we're loss averse which is told to us by prospect theory in behavioral economics you know we don't like to lose things and money is one of the things that we hate losing most of all obviously i'm sure a lot of people can relate to that so market research is absolutely essential the other thing with market research is you want to know what your customers value drivers are right if there is a certain feature in your product that your customers value above all else if you know that then you can price a bit higher and still have your customers really happy to pay that price for that product, right? And in doing so, you get more profit. And now I do want to address as well, you know, another tip here is that profit is not a dirty word. Wanting to be profitable, wanting your business to be profitable is not a bad thing. It doesn't make you greedy. It doesn't make you evil or anything like that. This is a really big problem that we have sort of imposed on us by society thinking that, you know, profit is greed and money is greed and all of that nonsense. And I see it a lot, especially for women. Women feel really bad about asking for more money. And the truth is, is that if those women get more money, they are far more likely to make a really positive difference in the world like the women that I work with, when they become profitable, they end up being more generous with it. They can create better products that make a difference in people's lives. They take their kids on holidays or they pay off debt or, you know, they do really, really amazing, good things when they are more profitable. And so of course that's, you know, something I try to help women achieve. That's such a fantastic way of looking at it. Cause I know a
0: lot of business owners do struggle with, oh, but I don't want to be greedy. And that's such a good way of looking at it. It's not great. It's just, you can do so much more when you're not making
1: nothing on the products that you're selling and the hard work that you're putting in. Exactly. And that's the thing, like you said it right there, when you're working hard and most of the time, you know, women, when they start a business, they are working more hours for less pay than they were at the job that they left, right. To go and start their business. And they end up burning out. And this is why the mortality rate of new businesses is so high, right? We don't get enough money. We don't get enough earnings in from the products that we're selling. We end up working more. We end up burning out because we're not making a profit. You end up resenting the business. The self-doubt creeps in and it becomes a vicious cycle, right? And this is why pricing is so important. I know a lot
0: of small businesses when they start because they come to me and they're they're looking for assistance with their marketing, they aren't Mm -hmm. even paying themselves a wage at that point. So the Mm -hmm. money that they're making doesn't even cover the cost of their time. So Mm -hmm. I suppose for those that are listening that haven't started yet or in the very, very early days, I know there's no magic formula. Um, If you haven't started a business, you don't kind of have that market research yet, but is there some sort of – process that a business can work through to work out what
1: that sort of pricing structure should be. Yeah, definitely. So before you start a business is the perfect time to be thinking about your pricing, right? Because it's not just a, how much money can I make from this product question? It's a viability question. Is this business that you're thinking of making, is it actually viable, right? You don't want to start a business if you know it's not going to be viable. It's not going to make you enough money, right? So- the first thing that I get people to do, if they come to me and they're like, look, I'm brand new, I haven't even started yet. I say, okay, go and do some market research. It doesn't have to be expensive. You know, you don't have to be a million dollar company to get good market research. Go into groups on Facebook or LinkedIn or wherever where your target market is. Ask questions and say, hey, I've got an idea for this thing. It solves this problem. Is this something that you think people would be interested in? And get people's feedback. Because at the end of the day, if that need doesn't exist in the market, or you think there's a problem that your market doesn't think is a problem, your business won't be viable, right? That's the first thing you need to check if your business is viable to start. And the way you do that is by going to where your ideal target market is and asking them and saying, hey, I see this as a problem. Do you see this as a problem? Is this a problem that you feel a big need to fix or a big need to solve? How important is it to you? And if you find out that, because a lot of the time, I see a lot of women, they get an idea for a service because of a personal experience they had. And they think it's a really great, great idea because they were really impacted by it, but maybe it's not necessarily something that is a strong market need. And they go into the market and they try to sell something that they think everyone should think is important, or that some people should think is important, but no one does. And they can't figure out why they can't sell it. But the issue there is that they had the idea They confirmed it with them that they thought it was important, but they didn't actually verify it with the market first. And that's the thing. The market will always decide if your business is viable or not. That's not something we can decide. We need to go out and discover it first. So that would be the first thing that I would do. Go out to the market, find out what the problem is that your ideal target market needs solving. Focus on that. Focus on making a solution that you know is going to be needed and wanted in the market. Yeah, fantastic. So obviously in the e-commerce space,
0: there's kind of different kinds of e-commerce stores and some of them sell Mm -hmm. a small number of products and others sell, you know, hundreds of, if not thousands of products. Mm. Do you find that the pricing strategy changes between the different number of products or is it just a different strategy depending on the different business?
1: I wouldn't say that the strategy changes on the number of products. I would say it changes based on your market segment. Let's say you have two companies and one sells like five products and the other sells a thousand. If they have a similar market segment with a similar price sensitivity, for example, then you might give them a similar strategy, right? Because it's about the perception of your branding and your prices. In terms of when you're setting the actual price levels, that's going to come down to the individual business and what they can handle. So you can do a lot more when you've got more products. If you've got more products, like let's say that you have 20 to 30 products, what I would like to implement is some a little bit of anchoring in there, do a little bit, a bit of decoy effects and things like that, a little bit of psychology, tricks and tips that I like to do with the prices in there. You can, have, you can play with it a little bit more. If you only have a few, you need to be a little bit more careful because you've only got a bit more room. But at the end of the day, the actual strategy for your pricing itself is going to be based on what you want your pricing to do for you. Do you want to enter into a new market? Do you want to penetrate a certain market segment? Do you want to gain market share? So depending on what your pricing strategy is, is going to determine how you approach the pricing for your entire product range. The number of products just gives you a lot more room to do a lot more with the price levels, the actual amounts that you set. Yeah, fantastic.
0: Uh, You briefly mentioned some uh, psychological I'm going to call them tricks mm-hmm. and hacks, but they're more than that. Yeah. Do you have... Oh, they are. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's um, they're kind of hacking the brain, really. Can mm. you tell us some of your kind of favorites that you'd like to, to implement and what they are for those who don't know Ooh. what they are?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of my favorites, which is used quite a lot in very luxury high-end spaces, and it's one that I encourage my luxury and high-end e-commerce clients to use, is a really, really significant anchoring effect. So anchoring is basically where you show someone a number and you want to anchor them at that number because you want to set a certain perceived value. If you go to not all, but a lot of luxury e-commerce sites, what you'll see is, you know, let's say you've got a shoe store, for example, and they've got a couple of dozen shoes on the page and all the shoes cost around $800. dollars right? Except this one pair of shoes that you see, which is so stunning. And it's probably the most beautiful pair of shoes on the page and they're priced at $3,000. That's your anchor because when the brain is in a buying scenario, okay? So you've got to think of the brain as it's always on the lookout for threats. It's always on the lookout for anything that might harm our chances of survival, right? I'm going I'm going backwards in steps here because it'll make more sense if I do. So you've got the brain, you're looking at a store. Anytime the brain goes into a buying scenario, it's on the lookout It's on red alert. There's sirens going off. Okay. We're potentially going to lose some money. Like I said before, humans are loss averse. We feel the pain of a loss twice as much as the pleasure of a gain. Okay. So loss really hurts us a lot. So when you're going through and you're looking at the store, because we don't inherently in our brains have anything that tells us what something should be worth, the brain looks for symbols and signals to tell us the value of something, right? Prices are one of those symbols. So we go through, we're looking at all of these pairs of shoes. They're all about $800. And then we see this pair of shoes that's $3,000. Alarm bells start to go off. All of a sudden, we feel like we've already lost that $3,000. The other thing that's happening at the same time is our brain is trying to find a solution to this problem. Why is there a pair of shoes here that's $3,000 when all the other pairs are $800? Because our brains are notorious automatic problem solvers. we like to be able to come up with reasons for why things are. We like to understand our environment so that we can keep ourselves safe. So we go, okay, why is this $3,000? Well, there must be a reason for that. Maybe it's better quality. Maybe everyone else wants it. It's just better. All of a sudden, as soon as you see that $3,000, your brain goes, that pair of shoes is worth $3,000. You could have never seen these pair of shoes before. You don't even have them in front of you. You can't touch them. You can't feel them. You can't smell them but your brain decides based on that $3,000 that it's worth that. At the same time, your perceived value of all the other pairs of shoes goes up because there's a pair of shoes there that is so exorbitantly priced and your brain has to come up with a reason for why that is. And so it says, well, other people must have paid that $3,000. They must be worth $3,000. They must be really, really excellent. Therefore, all the other products here, I want them even more now. You find a really similar effect when if you look at something like Dior, a company like Dior, and they have really expensive handbags and dresses and things like that, and then you go and buy their makeup, right? It feels really good to have a Dior lipstick that it costs cost you $50, right? But it feels really good because the brand is so valuable. You know, you've seen that the bags are $20,000, the dresses are $100,000 or however much they are. I haven't actually looked at Dior prices myself but it feels really good to have that Dior lipstick because you know that that brand is also selling you know $100,000 products. Does that make sense? Totally makes
0: sense. How would that apply to a brand that is not a luxury brand that's, you know, not selling $3,000
1: pair of shoes, but maybe selling $100 or $200 pairs of shoes? Yeah. So you can do the exact same thing just in a smaller dose, right? So if you, let's say that most of your shoes are a hundred dollars, then I would say something like, you know, have one or two pairs of shoes a year that you release. And and again, you know, I'm going to preface this by saying you need to have a customer base that has a high perception of value, right? Like if your customers are price sensitive, this will not work. This will backfire big time. If your customers are the kinds of customers who like paying more for luxury or really nice things, this, then this should work for you. But if you if most of your pairs of shoes are $100, then once or twice a year, you know, you could have like maybe an anniversary pair or a Christmas pair or something really, really special, and price it at a thousand if you wanted to, or you know, even like five hundred. The amount is really up to you and what you're comfortable with, but also what you're trying to do. You might also say that it's invite only, right? You might release a pair of shoes and it's like nine hundred dollars, and say, look, this is by invite only. If you are interested, then, you know, please click here or whatever because exclusivity makes things more valuable for us. You know, we've heard about the scarcity effect and things like that, and that's something that brands use all the time. And that's, you know, scarcity is something that any brand can use anytime. And it tends to work very, very well because we don't like missing out on things. So that's anchoring. Are there any others that you would suggest? Yeah, absolutely. So you can also use something called the decoy effect. The example of the decoy effect that I really like is by Wendy's. Uh, over in the U.S., so Wendy's used to have just a single cheeseburger and a double cheeseburger, and they would find that what would happen is customers would come in and they would go, "Well, I don't want to be a pig and get the double. I'll just get the single, right?" And so they were trying to think of ways to increase prices of the double, and instead of you know changing the price or anything like that, they brought in a new product. They brought in the triple cheeseburger. The point of this triple cheeseburger was not to sell the triple cheeseburger. It was to sell more of something else. It was to act as a decoy. Because what happened then was customers would come into the store. They would say, I don't want to be a pig and get the triple. I'll just get the double. Sales of the double skyrocketed. And so that's a really good example. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good example of the decoy effect. Another really good example... That really shows the irrationality of the human brain that I really love is another example that was presented by Dan Ariely, who's a behavioral economist. It's a, it's a little bit of a story. So if you don't want me to tell it, that's okay. Um, Maybe but it is a, a really good example story. just so that we don't go too far over time. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that, yeah, no, no, that's okay. That's totally fine. So what happened was this magazine released some subscription options. They had a print only option that was say $50 a web option that was $100 and a print and web option that was $100. I've heard this Now, you might think that, (laughs) yeah, yeah. So you might think, well, they're both the same. Why wouldn't I just get both of them then, right, because I'm getting more value? And Dan thought this was really interesting, so he conducted an experiment to see how many people would choose what. And, of course, most people went with both, right, the print and web option because it was the same price as just the print option, and no one chose the just print only option. And so we thought, well, why do we even need the print option if no one is choosing it? So we ran the experiment again, taking out that middle option. And what happened was, you know, you had the web option, which was $50 or the web and print option that was $100. All of a sudden, the percentages switched. Most people chose the cheaper option rather than the print and web. So that middle option in the first instance was only there as a decoy. And so even though logically you might think, well, no one's choosing it, we should just take it out humans aren't actually that logical. We're very irrational. We're predictably irrational, as Dan Ariely says. And when you bring in different options, you change people's perception, right? And you can kind of influence and help their decision. Now, there's a bit of an ethics thing here where you don't want to ever coerce customers into something because that's not okay. That's a really crappy thing to do. We want to be able to help customers make the best decision in their best interest because if they get better value then that is a win for us. They don't get better value. If we're just exploiting them, then what's the whole point of our business? Yeah,
0: exactly. So next question, if someone is listening to this episode and going, okay, I probably need to put my prices up. Mm -hmm. What is the best sort of strategy around that when you've got an existing customer base?
1: Oh gosh, you're going to hate me for this answer. It's a very typical consultant answer, but it depends. There's not really a general rule when it comes to increasing prices, because it depends on A, when you last increased your prices, B, how much you increased it by, C, whether your customers currently value your product, D, their price sensitivity. So there's there's too many variables for me to say, do X, Y, Z, right? Because that would kind of be negligent and lazy of me. But I guess the biggest thing is to be wary of things like you should be increasing your prices at least once, about once a year, no more than once a year you need to make sure that you have earned that price increase through the year, right? Through testimonials, good reviews. Are you increasing the quality of your products? Are you trying to send the products to more places? Are you improving your packaging and branding and increasing your perceived value? You know, you've got to make sure that you've been earning that price increase. So those would be the things that I would say to check before you think about increasing your prices. Yeah, that's good advice and probably
0: safe and legal advice as well. Um, yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I totally understand where you're coming from. We don't want someone listening to this episode, listening to what you say and then coming back and be like, I
1: lost my business because I did your things. And yeah, your no, oh, ex- exactly, you know, exactly right. Like I don't I don't want that for anyone, like not even just from a legal perspective but also just from a being a, a good person. Perspective. <laughs> just, yeah, yes, totally exactly. Okay. <laughs> yeah.
0: So we have a lot of customers that do like – with my business personally, that do mm-hmm. sell quite high-end goods. Um, we've had some guests on the show mm-hmm. that sell high-end goods. And occasionally mm-hmm. you get, not going to say customers because they're not customers, but people mm-hmm. that see ads or posts and things that are complaining about the pricing being too high. Now, obviously these yes. are not your ideal customers,
1: but what's kind of yeah, the
0: best right. way to reply to that from a marketing perspective?
1: I would say it depends on your size. Your size will really determine what you can get away with. Like, you know, let's take a really extreme example. If you look at like Mercedes-Benz, if you saw someone commenting on there, you would not expect Mercedes-Benz to reply, right? Because of their size. So if you're, if you're a really big, massive company, you can probably get away with not responding, right? Most and in a sense laugh. that really, yes. Yeah. Most people would laugh. Most people would ignore it. But if you're smaller and I'm, I'm going to assume that most of the listeners for this podcast are small to medium sized businesses, It also depends if this is a customer that's gotten in touch with you before, but the way that I tend to coach my clients to respond is by, you know, saying, Hey, thank you for your feedback. Here is how great our products are. I would talk about the fact that, so I'll use an example because that'll be the best way to answer this question. I've got one e-commerce customer who hand makes women's accessories. And when she gets like a negative comment or something like that, I say, look, be thankful be positive right don't don't come in being defensive and angry and things like that you know so like thank you for your comment right you want to you know show gratitude for them voicing their concern and say look our products are really proudly handmade. We pride ourselves on the fact that we are a very sustainable and eco-friendly brand. The way that we produce and manufacture our products also goes to support women in poorer areas and in low socioeconomic situations in overseas countries. Here's where you can go and find out more about how our products are made and our values as a company. I hope you have a wonderful day. So you're not even saying, oh, well, it's just out of your budget or, well, you're not my ideal customer, so go do something else. You know, you're coming in and and it's not even having a a tone of justification. It's a tone of pride and saying, here's the facts. Yes, our products are expensive. And you don't say this in words, but you say it through implication of what you're saying. Yes, our, our products are expensive. And we're proud of that because they're such high quality. They are in high demand. We contribute to sustainability and diversity. We contribute to wage growth in poor countries. If you talk about those things, then you can be proud of the fact that your products cost a lot. Does that make sense?
0: 100%. I think that's brilliant. And I think that will help a lot of listeners as well, because I know it's something that a lot Who of is? businesses struggle with. Mm-hmm. Awesome. On that note, sort of, in the e-commerce space, especially discounting is a big thing, like Black Friday's coming mm. up, like Christmas yeah. and Boxing Day. Like, What are your thoughts on discounting, especially in that e-commerce space?
1: I loathe discounts. Anytime I get a new client, I eliminate it from the vocabulary because discounts, research has shown, can have a negative impact on purchase intention. What that means is, When a customer comes to your website and they see, and obviously not every single customer, but for most customers, most humans, when a customer comes to your website, if they see something has been discounted, it makes them want it less because if the price is less, then the value must be less. That's what the brain decides. That's that really quick automatic problem solving in the brain. It can have a negative impact on our purchase intention, also has a negative impact on the rest of your products. The moment you put a discount on one product, you reduce the perceived value of the rest of your product range. You then bring down the perceived value of your branding and the perceived value of your your business in general. So it has a negative impact. The only time this is not true is if your customers are price sensitive. Even if you looked at something like AliExpress, for example, I don't shop on AliExpress. That's why I was struggling to come up with one. (laughs) If you look at AliExpress, right? People who are very price sensitive love AliExpress. Like they, right? They love the discounts or Sheen. Sheen's another one I just thought of. They go there because they are price sensitive that their value driver is a low price, right? So the opposite happens in their brain for them. They see a discount, they want it more. So if you're an e-commerce store, if you know that you are and I'm, I'm like cringing while I say this, but if you're competing or, you know, have a similar market-based to Sheen or AliExpress or that, discounts may work for you. I'm going to say may because I don't know your business and I don't know your customers, but it may work for you. But in general, if you are someone who makes products that are of high quality, even if you're not luxury range, even if you're mid-range or high range, I would strongly, strongly, strongly urge you not to discount because of the detrimental effect it has on your customer's way of thinking about you, but also on your bottom line. When you discount, you are just scraping profit out of your profit p You are pushing money out of your business. And I hate seeing women do that. I want to see every woman become like a millionaire. Like I know it's a crazy mission I have, but honestly, I just, I want that. And discounting is not going to get you there. It's not going to get you probably won't get you more customers, but like, again, it just depends on your market segment and how they respond. Um, But in general, I strongly encourage people not to discount and to add value instead.
0: Yeah. I think that's a, a good way of looking at it and definitely something worth considering for a lot of businesses. How would a business know if they need to increase
1: their prices? If you start getting reviews, like I love how much you get for the price,
0: that's a very good sign. Yeah,
1: Beth. <laughs> yes, yeah. I started, so I, I, I got a, um, I got a new client a couple of months ago, and I was looking at some of her reviews, and you know they were all like such great value, what a bargain, get so much for the price, and I said to her, I was like, do you? I want you to give me a list of words that you want customers to use to describe you. Bargain. And she gave them to me, them. and it was like. No. And it was things like you know, luxury and divine and elegant and whatever. And I was like, do you want your customers to think of you as like a bargain shop? And she's like, no. And I was like, yeah, I didn't think so. Here's what all of your customers are saying though. They say you're a bargain. They say that they get so much for the price. Let's change that right now. Okay. So that was the next thing that we did. We went and increased her prices. So that is a really good sign. Also, if you haven't raised your prices in more than a year, absolutely think about it start thinking about it go through your reviews and testimonials go through you know the things that you've done in your business over the last year or so to increase the value that you've given to customers if you haven't get on that right now you know if you are not every day thinking about how you can give more value to your customers you're not going to be able to increase your prices cuz you can't just increase your prices just because you want to you need to earn it because if you don't earn it and you go and increase your prices your customers won't buy they won't be happy You want it to be win-win. You want them to be happy that you've increased the prices because they know that you're worth that, right? Like I want to help my clients get to a point where their customers want to pay them more money because that's a nice feeling too. It's nice when you receive money from a customer and they were happy to pay for you. That's an awesome feeling. So that's what e-commerce owners should be aiming for. Fantastic.
0: Is there anything else you think we've missed
1: that you can share with us before we wrap up? No, nothing that we've missed, but, you know, I, I can't stress enough how important that market research is in terms of finding out what your customers are willing to pay. So with one of my clients, we did her market research and we did a projection on how much money she would lose over a certain amount of time. And over 11 years, it showed that, you know, the difference between what she thought her customers were willing to pay, and what her customers were actually willing to pay. It was something like $1.6 million that she was going to leave on the table that's insane over over 10 years yeah on that note quickly yeah what
0: is your kind of strategy around doing that market research are you sending out a survey to customers are you doing it in
1: facebook groups like what's the the yeah so it's twofold so Yeah. So it's twofold. So the the way that I do it with my clients is I do a mix of survey and face-to-face interviews. So I actually have a, like a survey template that I use and customize for all my clients. And it also has the NPS promoter score diagnostic on there. And then I also conduct some face-to-face interviews with customers. So I actually go and talk to my clients, customers face-to-face because I find that often customers will be more open if it's not the owner like if they know the owner or they you know they're familiar with them they're more likely to be open and honest with someone like me who's just someone they don't know
0: yeah no
1: that's fantastic
0: all righty so we're just getting to the last few questions we ask everyone do you have any strategies or habits that you follow each day to help you stay on track oh strategies
1: i follow each day oh gosh i would say other than my morning coffee I keep a checklist handy and I break things up into very, very, very small bite-sized pieces because, you know, studies have shown us that motivation is, it's very hard to drum up motivation just on its own, but we know that action begets action. So even if you do one small thing, even if it's just writing a comment, reply on a post or replying to an email or something really small, right? If you do that, you're far more likely to do the next thing and then to do the next thing. And the more small tasks you complete, that likelihood of you completing more goes up and up and up. So I know that if I can just do a few tiny things in the morning, that will get me on a really good roll for the rest of the day. So that's there's, there's actual science
0: behind right to-do list on your to-do list.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely right to-do list. And you know the other thing I do as well is I don't delete those done items until the end of the day. Well, because then at the end of the day, I can go through. Because what I used to do is I would delete it once it was done. But at the end of the day, to... I don't get to see everything I've done. And I've forgotten everything because it's, you know, nine o'clock and I'm tired and I need a glass of wine. Yeah. So what I do now is I leave it there. And at the end of the day, I can go, I did this, 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 this. And if there's anything extra small that I did in the day, I'll write it on my list and tick it just so it's there at the end of the day.
0: I love that. That's fantastic. It's do you have a favorite business motivating.
1: book? Yes. Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely. I have a bit of a business crush on him. He's fantastic. He's a behavioral economist, very, very smart. And his book, Predictably Irrational, basically goes through and talks about how traditional economics has always seen humans as rational beings. And he kind of really like turns that on its head and shows through a lot of research how humans are very irrational, even predictably so, and how there are just certain things that when you know them, it makes so much sense and you go, oh, that's why I do that. So if you're a business owner and you sell to humans, you read absolutely, it. absolutely
0: should read this book. I'm going to add it to my list.
1: Favorite podcast other than your own, which you're allowed to um, promo <laughs> here if you feel like it. Oh, uh, sure. I, I'm so... I'll just mention it. My, my podcast is The Pricing on the Cake. Very proud of coming up with that name. I thought it was really funny at the time. Um, but my favourite pod- <laughs> podcast is The Soul of Enterprise by Ron Baker and Ed Kless. It's an American podcast. They talk about business and economics and pricing and finance and psychology and subscriptions and just lots of different topics. I have lots of really smart people on there. And I really enjoy the the depth that they go to. And I, I've, I've learned a lot from them for sure.
0: Fantastic. And if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best
1: way for them to do that? So my email is Courtney at CourtneyDegan.com or you can look me up on Facebook, Courtney Rogers. Just add me, tell me that you heard me on the podcast. I'd love to have a chat. I'm extroverted, so I love talking, as you can probably tell. And I also have a free Facebook group, The Pricing on the Cake, where I share lots of tips and also lots of memes as well.
0: (laughs) Fantastic. And I do believe you have a special offer running at the moment.
1: Yes, that's right. So at the moment, I have my new program at the moment, And it's a six-week program. I only take in a few people at a time for it. It's normally $1,000 for the six weeks. It's called Perfect Pricing and Sales. We do the market research, like what I talked about before. So I help you do your market research. We do a marketing audit. We do sales coaching. So I coach you and help you overcome any mindset blocks and also help you set your pricing based on that market research. So it's basically six months of working with me condensed into six weeks. If you're an action taker, and someone who's really willing to do the work and really willing to, you know, get that confidence and get that profitable pricing, then it's absolutely the program for you. It is normally a thousand dollars, but for anyone listening to this podcast, I'm offering a promotion to do it for eight 90. Fantastic. Thank you so
0: much for that. And again, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been very, very enlightening and I'm sure our listeners are going to absolutely love the
1: information you've shared. So thank you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Dana.
0: Thank you for listening to the 22nd episode of the Bright Minds of eCommerce podcast. Don't forget, we load all of the links and show notes onto our website. You can find everything at brightredmarketing.com.au forward slash episode 22. The link will also be in the episode description. Thanks so much for listening.